This podcast contains adult language and content. Listener discretion is advised. If you have a story to share, send it to let's not meet stories at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. My name is Andrew Tate, and this is Season 8, Episode 1 of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. Welcome to Season 8. We're kicking things off with a new edition of The Lost Stories. Some old recordings from baby Andy when he was just learning how to do this thing. You're going to hear some incredibly creepy stories in this episode, some that you'll probably never forget. If you're new to the show this season, these are excerpts from the old episodes of the podcast before the return with Season 1. As usual... With these older ones, the recording quality can be a bit rough, but I sprinkled some 2022 digital magic on there to make them sound just a bit better. For some reason, these are the most requested and downloaded episodes of the show. Sadly, we only have so many of these older stories left to get through. And while we will be returning to our regularly scheduled programming with a brand new episode next week, we will be making a few more visits back to the Lost Story territory in the months to come. There are plenty of creeps and chills to go around. Enjoy the show. This happened years ago. I was probably in grade 10 or 11 or so, as I had just got my license and was learning to drive. I fancied myself an amateur photographer, so I was by the creek one day, taking pictures of ducks or whatever. A guy wanders up to me and starts asking me questions about my camera. He looked to be only a few years older than me, but it turned out he was about 30. I could tell he was younger brain-wise, though, and I was more than happy to tell him all about my fancy new DSLR. The creek was by a bridge near my house, and as me and this guy are talking, my mom drives up and spots me. She tells me that she's going to the corner store for some snacks and asks if I want to get some driving practice in. I say yes, and while I'm hopping into the front seat, this guy gets into the back. My mom thinks he's a buddy since he doesn't look much older than I do, so she says nothing and casually chats with him as we drive. But when we get to the store, he goes off a few aisles to get some chips, and I tell my mom, I have no fucking clue who this guy is. We aren't sure if he's violent or not, so my mom takes over driving. He hops into the car, and she tells him that she will drive him back to his house. No, I'll go wherever you guys go. She makes up some lie about going to a family gathering out of town and drops him off where she found him. Our house was nearby, so she takes off in the opposite direction and we drive around for a half hour, so he doesn't know where we live. When we come back, he's nowhere to be found, so we just go home. 
Now, fast forward a few days later, we're on the porch doing porch things, and I spot a guy standing at the end of the street. It's too far to see that it's the guy, but I mentioned to my mom that we should go inside. A week later, same deal. We don't call the cops because we can't tell if it's the guy, but we have a feeling. He's just standing there at the intersection, just standing. Fast forward a week or two later, and I'm at work. I get a call from my mother. Apparently, this guy rang the doorbell and asked my grandmother if I was home. My grandmother, slightly ailed with early-onset dementia, totally forgot about the creeper and says no, thus accidentally confirming that I live there. He asks where I work, and thanks to early-onset dementia, she forgot the name, but tells him, a restaurant in the mall. Well, fuck. So I'm freaked out and telling my coworkers the story. One line cook grabs a newspaper and shows me the most wanted list. And this guy is there for violation of probation. The line cook says her husband went to jail with him for a bit and he's supposedly nonviolent and was in for fraud or something like that. But to be careful and to get an escort to my car after my shift. We show the picture around to the staff and they decide that it's best for me to work in the kitchen that day as my normal grill station is literally two feet from the door. Not even an hour goes by and the dude comes in asking for me. Now keep in mind my grandmother didn't know where I worked so he must have went around to every single restaurant in the mall. Mine tucked in a corner of the department store that normally old people only shop there. So... I'm amazed that he even knew I was there. Most people told me, that place doesn't have a restaurant, you must be mistaken. Whenever I told them I worked there, so it was pretty hidden to anyone 65 or younger. My coworker tells him that there's no one by my name, and he gets irate and insists I have to work there. I must have been the last one he checked. My manager hears the kerfuffle and comes out threatening security and whatnot. He leaves and I immediately call the Crime Stoppers number. He stopped by my house once more that day before I was off my shift and then I never saw or heard from him again. I still don't know if he gave up or if they caught him. I had only told Crime Stoppers that he told me he lived in the area with his grandmother, so maybe that was enough info. This happened around 15 years ago, and to this day, whenever I think about what happened, a cold shiver runs down my spine. Myself, my cousins, and my brother are damn lucky. My parents own a timeshare in Laguna Beach, and it's a good five to six hour drive from where I and my family live outside Las Vegas. My cousin and her boyfriend at the time were visiting from Philly. And they, along with my aunt and grandma, were accompanying my family, my mom, my dad, my brother, to California. Now my parents, aunt and grandma, are in one car, and they had gotten a bit of a head start as my dad's anal about leaving right on time. However, us kids, and I was 25 and the oldest, so not really a kid, but you get the point, 
were out uh, about an hour behind them due to my brother being a slowpoke. Anyway, my cousin's boyfriend is driving and my brother was in the passenger seat. My cousin and I are behind them chit-chatting. It's around 4 p.m. and we are somewhere outside of Nipton, California. Now, for those of you who may have not gone through Nipton before, know that the place is creepy. There is a general store with an outhouse bathroom and I believe a restaurant. So we're maybe 10 minutes from Nipton when we see a car pulled off into the desert. We drive by and my brother goes, there's a guy laying in the desert. We go back and forth about calling 911 when we realize none of us have any bars on our phones. And this is before smartphones actually blew up. I was able to get service if I held my phone up slightly. We figured we'd turn back just to assist the situation out. We turn back and my brother and my cousin's boyfriend get out and start hollering at the guy and asking if he's okay. No answer. And just as they decide to step closer and see if this guy is dead, my cousin and I spot two people hiding behind the car's trunk. We scream for my brother and her boyfriend, and I think they had heard rustling, so they sprint back and pile into the car. Meanwhile, the guy who was supposedly injured sits up, and two scary-looking dudes pop up. My cousin's boyfriend takes off, and we're all freaking out. Meanwhile, I finally have bars, and I call 911 to report what had happened. We pull into Nipton while I talk to a dispatcher who takes my info and says that she'll send someone out there. So we forget the idea of stopping. We just want to keep going. I'd like to say that that's the end of the story and we made our way to the beach, but it's not. Because we continue into Baker and decide that we are safe enough to pull into the Mad Greek for a bathroom break and some strawberry shakes and euros. We're waiting for our order when my cousin's boyfriend comes over to the table, looking like he just saw a ghost. He points across the street from the Mad Greet at the little trading post. There we had parked our car. Guess who pulls in three cars down? Yeah, you guessed it. The three rough-looking guys. And you'd be right. They get out, look around, and walk into the post. Meanwhile, we are getting our food to go and devising a way to get the fuck out of town without dying. However, fate was on our side that day because those three came out of the store carrying beer and thank God for the RV that was sandwiched between our SUV and their car. They got in their car and they pulled out and sped off like madmen. We took that as our cue and a sign from the man upstairs to get the fuck out of there. We ran out to our car, got in, and we didn't stop until we reached Laguna. I've never heard back from anyone regarding my call to the police. We never told my parents or my aunt or grandma. To this day, we all regard it as one of the scariest things that ever happened to any of us. And I refuse to take the Nipton cutoff route, even if it's a shortcut. So guys who are up to no good, let's not meet.
When I was 17, I moved to college two hours away from home and took residence in the dorms on campus. The dorms were not run through the school, but through the management company. There were a lot of safety problems in the dorms, and as a result of this, there were assaults, overdoses on drugs, shootings right outside, etc. Now, I am a 100-pound female, so I always watched out for serious situations around me. Everything was great. I had some awful roommates, but I was mostly left alone. One day in September, I was leaving for class early in the morning when I spotted a condom taped to my name tag on the door. It had a note that said, call me, XOXO, with some random phone number. I told the RAs and nothing came of it. I just thought it was some random prank pulled by one of the guys on the floor. Things went south with my roommates, mostly because of my night terrors, quote-unquote scaring them, even though I warned them before we even agreed to be roommates. So I moved into a two-bedroom dorm with my new roommate, Jay. We each had our own room. After a week of living there, I started noticing that things were appearing in the living room while we were sleeping. I asked Jay about it, and she denied it. She said it wasn't her. One day we noticed that the lock on the front door did not lock properly. If you pulled on the lock and twisted the handle at the same time, the door would come open. Around the time I started getting Snapchats of inappropriate things and vague threats and offers for quote-unquote great sex, I would get ones that would say things like, you look great today with that specific article of clothing I was wearing. I filed a report to the dorms to get the lock fixed, but it took four months and eight complaints. We even threatened with legal action. We got our door fixed, but the presence still appeared outside of the door with notes from me. I was receiving Snapchats, but I moved out of the dorms into an apartment uh, with my then-boyfriend. The Snapchats continued, and then I started getting calls at my work. I worked for the dean's office of my college, and I was in charge of answering phones. Every day I would get three or more calls from randomly generated numbers. Discovered that it was through apps like Viber and Skype that I reported to the police, and they investigated. I would answer the phone, CLAS Dean's Office. This is my name. How may I help you? I would hear heavy breathing for a few seconds, and then they would hang up. I thought it was just some 12-year-old pranking our office until my coworker got a call. She answered with her name, and the person on the other line asked if they could speak with me. Thinking that it was one of the deans that I had been working with, she forwarded it to my phone. I answered, and I received the same heavy breathing and hung up. I reported it to my boss, and she did nothing. One of the deans overheard the conversation and reported it to Title IX. Talking to them was a mistake. After meeting with them, the threats started getting worse, and this person found my new apartment. One day in December, I was dog-sitting two wonderful dogs who hated other dogs, and they would bark at them on sight. It was around 11 p.m., and I decided to take them out before bed. We get outside. To the right of me is a bunch of thick trees that are hard to see through. 
I start to take the girls to the grass on the left. They start growling and barking at something in the trees. Thinking maybe it's another dog, I try to pull them away, but they will not budge. I glance over, and out of the trees comes a tall man. But the weird thing is, he's wearing a Michael Myers mask. He starts rushing towards me. The dogs get between him and I. He stops. I run up the stairs behind me into the apartment, and he's now disappearing into the trees again. Stupidly, I don't call the police, but I do see him one more time before I move to my new apartment. Things are quiet for a while. My boyfriend and I break up, and I spend the first few days in the new apartment alone. Come to find out the window that can be accessed from the ground doesn't lock. One morning I wake up. Everything seems normal. I check the mirror to do my hair for work. I have a bald spot. My head was shaved in the middle of the night. I found my hair tied up in knots in an envelope. I immediately called the police. They do an investigation and find the window broken but can't find anything to figure out who it was that came into my apartment. They asked me to compile a list of everything that I was missing. And the only thing that had gone other than my hair were three pairs of dirty underwear. I have photos of the hair and the bald spot if anyone is interested. An investigation finds no one. I have since moved and I no longer answer phones at my work. I keep bear spray next to my bed at all times. This is a current and ongoing problem. I'm young, 19, moved to the States about six months ago, and I now live with two roommates. Our house is built in an interesting way. The living room of the house next door to us is my bedroom. So essentially I have what used to be a kitchen and the entire living room is my own personal space, with the wall separating me from the neighbor's house. I have three doors, one to get into my room from the hallway, the other that connects to the kitchen and is right next to my neighbor's other door, and the other living room door that is right next to my neighbor's front door. I'm only describing this setup because it's easier to explain how exactly my neighbor watches me and essentially stalks me through our shared wall. The issue with our neighbor Bethany is that she hates whoever lives in my part of the house. There's just bad juju that went on between her and two previous tenants a couple of years before me. Bethany is quite old and has one cat. We're not allowed to have pets in the unit, but she's been grandfathered in. She always has her brother over, and he's a bully. He's also kind of a dick, and just outright dislikes all of us who live there. Bethany has another neighbor on the other side of her house, but Catherine is barely home, so I doubt she's had to go through any of what I do. Anyway, for the last two months, Bethany has gotten extremely stalkerish. She doesn't follow me or my roommates, but she watches and listens. She will not start bothering me until she goes out and watches one of my roommates leave and go to their car, which she can do because she has two doors to get outside. Bethany's front door is 
the longer route and passes her living room, which she will openly watch you from. The other is connected to her bedroom, I assume, where she'll either stand on her side of the porch or hang out her window while flipping one of us off as we pass. It's annoying. And that's all it was at just first, just petty shit to show that she really didn't like us. Until she started knocking. Now, my wall isn't super thin. In fact, you need to be really loud to even be heard. I was already told before moving that Bethany was somewhat hostile towards whoever lived in my room, so I should just be wary of sounds. I have one large TV in the corner and my desk with the computer, but I rarely use them. Bethany, on the other hand, has a TV right behind where mine is on the other side of the wall. When I'm home alone, or getting home late, Bethany would take the time to gently knock on the door right next to mine and say, in this creepy, sing-songy voice, I know you're home. Or if I had an Amazon package or some type of delivery back home, she would start banging the package against my door, and in her creepy sing-song tone say, Come out, I have a package for you. You have a package, you have a package. She'd do this for about a few weeks straight, because I was getting gifts from my family around December when this picked up. My birthday is in December. I also get packages containing school supplies, home stuff, etc. It was fucking chilling, because she was physically waiting for me to be home. I know that the air pressure is heard and felt faintly when the very front door of our house opens as well as the side kitchen in which I come in from, but you'd really have to be listening to know I'm coming in my room. So from December to the beginning of January, Bethany would pick up my packages from my door and just throw them at it. Not hard enough to damage them, but enough to get my attention. Sometimes she'd be really angry I wasn't answering, and others, she'd just continue being weird as hell. Our head roommate didn't deem it behavior that should get her kicked out, but she did tell our landlord, and the landlord had apparently told Bethany she needed to quit, or next time the police were getting called, because she was disturbing our part of the property. Since then, she had limited to just screaming at us, as we passed and furiously flipping me off. Whatever, she wasn't touching my stuff anymore, and that's what mattered the most. However, as of the last two weeks, she's gotten belligerent. At all hours of the day, beginning around 4 or 5 a.m., she'll sing loudly towards my wall. And not just any part, but directly in front of my bed. My bed faces the wall on the other side. And it's fucking creepy. She'll just sing shit like, I can hear you on the phone. You fucking cunt. You're such a bitch. Turn off your electricity. It's not insulting. I I'm just confused. What the fuck is her problem? She'll bang really hard when it gets too quiet on my end and scream obscenities. She knows when I'm showering, as a few times she screamed loud enough for me to hear through my bathroom wall. You slut! Turn the fucking water off! 
A few times she's gone out on both her porches and screamed at me through the door, even more things. The things she says shows that she listens to what I'm doing. Like, I'm FaceTiming my mom and she'll say, Turn your fucking phone off! I'm playing video games at volume two on my very, very quiet TV and she'll scream, I can hear those damn video games! Even worse, when I'm on the phone with my boyfriend, we FaceTime as I fall asleep, I heard her say, not screaming, he snores too loud. It's fucking frightening. Lately, the noises, banging, and the watching have increased by a shit ton. My head roommate is a kind and gentle soul, so she's hesitant to take action right away. I'm pretty sure these little outbursts are going to turn into her threatening me or even worse, trying to get into one of my doors. I don't believe she's been diagnosed with anything, which of course I've considered. I've met Bethany, but I really, really don't want to meet Bethany all on my own. I might punch her right in the face or get in a fight as I don't take too well to being intimidated or listened to when I'm in my private area. Well, it's currently 2.15 a.m. on March 1st. We have called the cops. Bethany was screaming profanities through the wall, banging at around 1.14 to 1.20, and fighting with someone who we assume was her older brother, physically and verbally. My roommate called our landlady and her close friend for advice, and even sat with me in my room, listening to everything. It was enough to make me call the cops. They did come, but Bethany quickly played nice despite evidence of the recordings. We recorded her earlier tonight around 9.47 p.m. and 10 p.m., then again from the 1.24 to 1.35. I also have a few week recordings from yesterday around 4 to 5 a.m. At the time the police came... Bethany was blasting her TV at high volume and yelling. From next door, we could hear them asking her to turn it down because he could hear it just from walking up the block, and she demanded which neighbor called it in. I believe she knows it was us, but I don't care if she does. My roomie is a little shaken, as this is the first 911 call she's ever made, and for everyone wondering why it didn't happen sooner... She's very non-confrontational, and I appreciate that. We asked the officers who was being sent to speak with us first so we could show them these recordings, so that they knew that we weren't just being nitpicky about noise and such, that she's taking it to a much farther level. They did their checkup, which Bethany did comply to be fair with, and I don't, I don't know if this is the end of it. I have a gut feeling it's not exactly finished. Our landlady, who we left a message for, will need to speak with her. Although the police meeting was short and really uneventful, this is essentially strike two for Bethany. I hope this is a wake-up call for Bethany. She's listening. And I'm listening as well. When I was at the end of middle school and the beginning of high school, 
I was on home instruction due to health reasons. It's different than homeschooling because they would send teachers from the school, and you'd have one two to three hour class per day, usually at a local library and sometimes at your house. Because I wasn't in a proper school, I was pretty lonely and spent most of my time trying to make friends and socialize online. One of the best websites to meet a lot of people was Quizilla, rest in peace. I would make a lot of quizzes, some of which got popular, and read awful fanfiction stories on there that, as a young teenager, I found pretty addicting. I talked to other people who wrote stories and made quizzes. This is how I met Chloe. Chloe was around my age, if not a year or so older, and eventually we left the Quizilla PM system and started talking on AIM. She always used her father's AIM account, saying she had overprotective parents. She lived in New Jersey, and I was one state away in New York. After talking to Chloe for a bit, one day she says she wants to introduce me to a friend of hers. They knew each other in real life, and she thought we'd get along since we all like the same stuff. He was slightly older, 16, and named Matt. Matt and I instantly became friends. We talked for hours and hours every day and stayed up until very late into the night, just talking to each other. If I wasn't in class, I was pretty much talking to him. I still talked to Chloe at first, but eventually we drifted apart. But Matt and I were growing a lot closer. For my birthday, he wanted to get me a gift, so I gave him my P.O. box. My parents didn't know I was talking online to people at the time, and I wanted to keep it that way so I wouldn't lose a lot of my friends. Technically, it was my dad's P.O. box, but he's less snoopy, and I made some kind of excuse about it being from a friend who moved. I knew I couldn't have anything come to my house because my mom would be very suspicious and definitely would not believe that. One day, after many months of talking, Matt told me he liked me. I didn't return his feelings, but I said that I hoped we could still be friends. He was upset, but took the rejection well, or so I thought, and our friendship continued. He'd mentioned it from time to time that he still had feelings for me and made it a bit uncomfortable, but I valued him a lot as a friend and didn't know many people I could talk to all day like that, so I brushed it off. Matt started talking about his other friends in his town in New Jersey a lot. Eventually, he said he wanted to introduce me to his friend Jose. He had spoken a lot about Jose. Jose was around the same age as he was and was recovering from drug problems. Having been in rehab, he knew what it was like to lose a lot of friends and got pulled out of school, etc. He introduced us, which also happened on AIM because this was before the days of social media. Jose and I got along great, but I suspected it was really Matt. Just little things here and there, like them being on at the same time a lot some typing quirks in writing style. The differences in typing, they had seemed a bit fabricated. But he seemed like a three-dimensional person, at least. I didn't say anything because I thought it was interesting that Matt would pull that. 
I was really into psychology and all that kind of stuff. And I wanted to see where he would go with it if it really was the same person. At that point, I wasn't 100% sure and felt it could go either way. Needless to say, after talking to Jose, he confessed his feelings to me. Again, I wasn't interested, and he was okay with that. Eventually, Matt and Jose started introducing me to more and more friends. It became blatantly obvious that they were all the same person. Jose was the only one who felt fleshed out. These people got increasingly two-dimensional and had very similar odd interests and the same typing style. I was sure it was Matt. Still, I played along as if I believed it. Most of these were guys who would eventually try to date me. Some were girls who acted as rival characters. This continued for a bit. He essentially created a fake group of friends in this town. Eventually, there was a night where nobody was on. Another thing that had tipped me off to the fact that these were all the same person at the beginning, they were on and off at similar times versus each other. I ended up finding this IRC chat room. I really loved it and met a few cool real people. I started going on to chat more and more often and made friends there. This chat consumed most of my life. I would also have AIM open and talk to Matt there, but my responses were growing slower. I was much more interested in the real people on the chat rather than the fake ones that Matt had created. I told Matt I was slow to respond because my computer was lagging. Some nights I didn't sign on to AIM at all because I was talking to people in the chat instead. Matt didn't like this. When we did talk, it was increasingly filled with tension. When I said my computer was lagging, he said, It's lagging because of the damn chat. He would snap at me about talking to other people on the chat and become closer to them whenever we did talk. I was getting fed up. Especially since I really liked my new friends that I chatted with. One day, I signed on to AIM and got an angry message from him. Deciding that it was the last straw, I wanted him to go away. I told him I didn't want to be friends anymore. He tried to protest, so I told him everything. That I knew that all the people were fake and I was just playing along with it. I just wanted to end things once and for all. He was angry. He denied that the people were fake, but instead questioned me. Were the things I said about myself and my life a lie too? He got scary at the end, telling me how much I'd regret this. But nothing happened for a while, and I disappeared. There was a forum I used to go on a lot at this time, and eventually a new user joined. This was common because it was pretty active, but this user had a quote from a movie, I love dealing with betrayal, as his signature. Matt and I talked about this film a lot. This user kept trying to be friendly with me and message me. In the PM system, I told him that I knew it was Matt and he got angry. He threatened to kill me in a detailed, brutal manner. I still, to this day, have no idea how he found me on that forum. I've never told him about it. I didn't 
post personal information and my username was different from anything he knew. I had gotten a new email after this because I didn't want to be contacted by him. He started emailing me, sending me pictures of places near my house, including my house. He did not know my address, and only a P.O. box that is a few towns away, and places that I went a lot and never told him about. The emails were creepy. I didn't tell my parents because I didn't want to be banned from talking to people online, which looking back was really, really stupid. I was scared. I had a cell phone by this point, and I never gave him the number, but he started calling me on it and leaving messages saying the same kinds of things. How I should just take him back into my life because he wouldn't have to do this to me. How he'd change my mind eventually. And if I did anything to make him angry, like grow close to other people. Threats. They were incredibly vivid and detailed. I have no idea how he found the new email or my phone or many of my accounts. I had a friend online who was a 4chan type wannabe hacker. After months of this, I asked him for advice and he said he would scare him away. I have no idea what he did and he wouldn't tell or be coy to avoid the question, but things de-escalated a lot after this. Matt had disappeared. I thought it would be the end. But every couple of months, even up to when I was in college, I'd meet someone through some site I was going on and know right away that it was him. He always had the same MO and never got better. When he knew that I was always onto him, instead, he'd try to become friends with some of my friends, I guess to find out information about me. I had to warn friends for years later, both online and offline friends, about him just in case. At this point, I had wondered if even Chloe and Matt were the same person. One day, though, it stopped. I figured he grew bored. It had lasted for many years by this point, so I was shocked but didn't complain. I always thought he would come back, but he never did. I ended up looking into him and Chloe on Facebook when this all fell distant to me, just to see if I could come up with anything. I found him. He was engaged to another girl. They had pictures on the beach where they wrote their names and a heart in the sand. I wondered if she knew even half of what he had done to me. I also looked up Chloe, and to my surprise, she was a real person, and now had a baby. I don't know if the person I was talking to was actually Chloe, though, or a fictional version created by Matt, or even vice versa. You know how when you talk about someone with a common name, you give them nicknames to differentiate them from other people with the same name, like Pokemon Matt, Firefighter Matt, etc. To this day, I still call this guy Jose Matt. When I was in high school, I worked at McDonald's like most 16-year-olds. I worked with this guy named Mark. 
Mark was like the Greek-Italian version of Christian Slater. I was ridiculously smitten. We were friendly, but Mark was a lot faster than I was, so the few times we hung out, Mark's advances were met with me walking away. Maybe I was saving myself for the real Christian Slater. Mark soon left his career at McDonald's, as did I, and since we went to different high schools, I wasn't sure if I would ever see him again. Fast forward to 1999, I'm living on campus at the local state university and working at a kiosk in the local mall selling Herbalife. One slow day at the mall while people watching, I get a tap on the shoulder. Jen? I look up, and there he is. Mark. All grown up. Not awkwardly dressed. Team muscles popping. And now, I drive, go to college, and have a respectable job. So I'm confident. And we exchange smiles and hugs and phone numbers. Besides, I've matured, so I am ready for whatever trickery he has up his sleeve. Plus, he's still adorable. He tells me he has a few friends on my campus, and he's there all the time, so next time he's on campus, he will ring me and we can hang out. Yes. Mind you, this is before cell phones. I don't even think I had a two-way pager yet. So my only calls were coming in from the landline in my dorm room, extension 5609. So first I should say, campus phones were different. If you had an off-campus call, like from someone at home, it would ring like normal phones ring. But if a friend was calling you from campus, it did a double ring. No cell phones, no caller ID. So one day, my roommate Daisy and I are just hanging out in the room after class, and there is a double ring. So it's coming from the campus. It's noisy in the background, but the voice on the other end says, Hey Jen, it's me, Mark. I'm on campus at the student center. Let's meet. I excitingly agreed to meet him in front of the library, which is about midway. I begged my roommate to come because I'm nervous and not as grown as I had thought. I tell her, you're Greek, he's Greek. Just come with me. And she does. We waited in front of the library for what seemed like forever. Not many students around for a change, and I didn't see Mark anywhere. We even peeked in the library lobby. We decided to wait a little longer, and Daisy said, Let's sit on this bench. I'll have a cigarette, and if he's not here, we'll still leave. So I agreed, and we waited it out. Oddly, no one was around except one older guy, white, baldish, and wearing a tan trench coat. It was late spring. The coat was an overstatement, now that I think about it. Also, now that I think about it, if Mr. Burns from The Simpsons were real, that was this guy. Daisy finished her cigarette. We looked both ways. No Greek gods on the horizon, so we walked back to our room. Once we got back to the room, again, double ring. Now a bit aggravated, I pick up. Hello? Mark says, Jen? I reply, Dude, what the hell? I went to meet you. Where are you? He replied, I was sitting across from you on the bench when your friend was having a cigarette. Before I can even process what he said to reply, the phone hangs up. 
My roommate and I are freaking out, and everyone we told gets the heebie-jeebies. Many years later, I was at the mall again. I ran into Mark, who seemed like he was in a rush to get somewhere. I had to ask him about that day. He looked at me like I had ten heads, and more or less ran off. I'll never know what the whole thing was about, but I'll also never forget. This encounter happened when I was seven years old. My sister and I had invited our neighbor over, who was around our age, for a movie night. To give you some idea of my old neighborhood, and this is important to the story, the neighborhood is pretty old, so the houses aren't far apart, nor are they super close together like most neighbors these days. It's also very hilly, with tons of trees. Her house was beside my driveway, less than a two-minute walk to her front door. Anyway, after about two hours of pizza, Scooby-Doo, and girl talk, it was about 11 o'clock, so we decided to walk her home. As we started walking towards her house, we noticed a black truck parked at the end of her yard up by the road. Nothing odd since people park like that all the time. Right as we step off of my driveway and into her yard, a huge hooded figure stepped out from behind one of the far trees in her yard. We froze, not sure if we were seeing things or if this was a real person. After about 30 seconds, we started backing up, trying not to lose eye contact with the figure. That's when he started walking slowly, but getting faster with every step. By the time we hit my driveway, he was stepping onto hers. We booked it, sprinting for the door. He almost started running at this point. All of us screamed. We ran into my garage and locked the wooden door behind us. Our screams were so loud that my mother and grandmother heard us and met us at the door. At this point, all three of us were freaking the hell out. Trying to explain it to my mom and grandma what happened, we told them that this man had chased us. My mom called my friend's house to see if they saw anything outside. My friend's grandma said they didn't see a truck or a man. My mom ended up walking with us this time since we were all scared to walk alone. My friend's grandma told us that we saw the pizza man. Even in my seven-year-old mind, I knew that that was a lie. What pizza man hides behind a tree? Also, the only other car was the truck, which didn't have a Pizza Place logo anywhere. About two years later, we found out who the hooded man was. It ended up being my friend's 45-year-old uncle who was a known meth addict. Apparently, he was out of it that night, and according to her grandma, he just wanted to play a prank on us. To the cracked-out uncle, who was also a pizza guy that wanted to pull a prank on a group of children, 
let's not meet again. All names have been changed for anonymity, and some details may be blurry due to the span of time and traumatic nature of the scenario. The event in question happened during my sophomore year in college, 2012. I honestly can't remember the exact month, but I believe it was sometime during the winter. I lived with two other girls, Katie and Danielle, and we were the best friends of all time. We had just moved into our first off-campus house and were reveling in the freedom of being out of the dorms. With this revelry came some experimentation with drugs and alcohol. The three of us started hanging out and partying with a group of people who eventually got into harder drugs like cocaine, molly, etc. Katie and I decided after a while that all this partying was in danger of jeopardizing our health and schoolwork. So we backed off of the drugs. Danielle, however, decided to continue experimenting with a variety of drugs. And as she continued, she began to get more aggressive. I should note that I hold no judgment towards drug use whatsoever, but I included it because I believe it may be a crucial component to the events that followed. The saga started on a weekend. Katie, Danielle, and I all went to a party one night and got separated from each other. We had made arrangements with the girls to leave the party early, so Danielle agreed to walk with Katie back to the house. We were always adamant about the buddy system at night, especially when we had been drinking, but it failed that night. Instead, Danielle left the party with someone and left Katie to walk home alone late at night and she was unfortunately followed by a strange man. To this day, I deeply regret leaving that night, but I've come to terms with my past decision and taken responsibility for my choice. I came home the next morning, and Katie filled me in on the previous night. She was very upset, which is out of character for her, and she told me she texted Danielle at some point during the night telling her that she was really bummed that she left her to walk home alone. Katie was frustrated, and her text was blunt, but both Katie and I figured Danielle would either brush it off or apologize and things would move on. That didn't happen. Instead, Danielle flipped her shit and became completely enraged. She responded very defensively and told Katie in colorful terms to basically fuck off and get over it. Katie and I thought it was pretty odd and hostile but tried to carry on with our days and not overthink it. It was Monday, so Katie left the house to go to work on campus, and I went to my afternoon lecture. Sometime while I was in class, unbeknownst to me at the time, Danielle came to Katie's workplace in the student rec center and started screaming at her in front of 60-plus patrons, calling her a boatload of obscenities. She was escorted out of the building by security and somehow made her way back to our house. I should also note that Danielle's mother was visiting this week and was with Danielle the entire time. I believe she was terrified of her daughter, which is why she never intervened. 
By the time she arrived home, I had returned from class and was making food in the kitchen. At this juncture, Danielle's rage was centered on Katie, not me, as I tried to let the two of them work it out without my intervention. Danielle cornered me in the kitchen and told me how angry she was with Katie and what a fucking bitch she was. I've never seen rage in someone's eyes like that. I refused to engage with her and retreated to my room in the back of the house. I sat on my bed and took some deep breaths when I heard Katie coming up the side yard. She was crying on the phone with her mom telling her what had just taken place at her work. I immediately felt this horrible pit in my stomach as I knew they were about to confront each other again. The door opened and Katie walked in. I was still in my room and I heard them yelling at each other. Katie stood up for herself, telling Danielle she was way out of line and Danielle resorted to more obscenities. The yelling turned to full-on screaming and I finally had enough of it. So I went into the living room where Danielle, Katie, and Danielle's mom were standing. I told Danielle to knock it off and leave, to which she told me to go fuck myself. This gave Katie time to try and bolt into her room, but Danielle followed her and slammed Katie's hand in the door as she was trying to barricade herself. I went outside on the front porch and Katie got past Danielle and followed me outside. A few seconds later, I heard Danielle's mom scream, No, Danielle, put it down. I turned to Katie and we looked at each other in terror and I told her immediately to run away and call 911. At that moment, Danielle flings the front door open holding a giant kitchen knife raised above her head and said something along the lines of, Bitch, I'm going to fucking kill you. By this time, all of our neighbors were standing outside trying to figure out what the hell was going on. I'm not a confrontational person, but fuck if I was going to let someone kill my best friend. So in a split-second decision, I lunged at Danielle and somehow managed to wrestle the knife from her and threw it on the front lawn. I ran to grab it, and during that time Danielle had gone back inside to grab another knife. This time, she turned it on herself and asked me if I wanted to watch her slit her own throat on our porch. Her mother is hysterical, and I kept saying, No, Danielle, we love you, please don't. At some point, I blacked out, and when I came to, I was running with Katie down the street to our neighbor's house for refuge. All the while, we could hear Danielle's blood-curdling screams down the street. We were totally shell-shocked, but bless those guys for taking care of us until the police came. We saw the cops show up along with the crisis unit, and they detained her and drove her to the hospital where she was put on a psych hold. Katie and I never saw Danielle again, and we stayed with our friends for a few weeks before returning to our house. We moved out at the end of the year, as it harbored too many somber feelings. I later learned that Danielle may have experienced a psychotic episode triggered by a variety of factors including stress, recent drug use, and an underlying mental health condition. However, I will never know why she did this, 
and speculation doesn't matter at this point. It was a huge eye-opener for me to further educate myself about mental health in young adults, as well as appreciate the incredible things your body can do when you're in a fight-or-flight mode. It also taught me to listen to my gut more. So, Danielle, I sincerely hope you found the help you need, but let's never meet again. Thank you for listening to this week's Lost Stories edition of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. This week you have heard, My mom thought that he was a friend by Lilith Immaculate. We shouldn't have pulled over by Mrs. Reese, 818. Stalker in the Mask by Fantapants42. She Listens Through the Walls by Lua Hadi. Jose Matt by Huafis. Mr. Burns by Jennifer Barber. It Was Only the Pizza Man by Paranormal Collector. And finally, The Roommate from Hell by Telephone2468. All of the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Let's not meet a true horror podcast. It's not associated with Reddit or any other message boards online. And if you have a story to share, make sure you send it to let's not meet stories at gmail.com. For you patrons, make sure you stick around after the music for your extended ad-free version of this week's episode. And if you want to get access with a bunch of other bonus material, head over to patreon.com forward slash let's not meet podcast to sign up and support the show today and don't forget to check out the new episode of my other podcast odd trails for your true paranormal fix i'll see you all next week for a brand new episode of let's not meet a true horror podcast stay safe realized I never really processed this time in my life until I started listening to the podcast.